Tonight, another cold case from the Metro Police Homicide Files. It's a murder from 1973. Stabbed multiple times. In a cold case murder that's baffled them for 45 years. Authorities left with next to nothing to solve this crime. If you have any information that could bring some answers and closure to the family, please contact... For, for humans who want to do something like this to another human. Stabbed multiple times. So frustrating terrible. with no, very little evidence, no answers decades later. It's hard to imagine. As we've seen, some of these cases recently even have been solved all these decades later. So let's hope somebody knows something. And comes forward. Welcome to the Searching for Closure podcast. If you listened to last week's episode, then you heard me make a promise. Last week, I promised to call Deputy Chief Todd Scholes or the Racine Police Department, and demand answers. I told you I would get an update on the tip I gave him last year about a possible suspect in the murder of Tina Davison. Well, let me tell you something. If I make a promise, I keep my promise. I'd originally called him a couple weeks ago, but I got his voicemail. And he never called me back. I'm sure he's probably really busy with like a lot of other crimes and murders and whatnot, so I don't really hold it against him. I figured it was probably the timing of my call. You see, last time I called him, it was a cold and rainy Thursday. This time, it was a warm, sunny Monday afternoon. And guess what? This time he answered. I wanted to record the entire interview to play it back for everyone so you could hear all the answers for yourself and there would be absolutely no question as to what he said. But when I asked him if I had his permission to record the phone call, he said, quote, I would really rather you not. I'm not the spokesman for the department. You know what? That's completely understandable. I respect his choice and I will not be airing the phone conversation I had with him. But you know what I can do? I can transcribe exactly what he said and I can tell you what I asked him and every word of what he said, which honestly was not a whole lot. Plus, I have to be honest, I am withholding a slight bit of information from what he said just to help uphold the integrity of the case. So, my first question, of course, was to see if there was any update on the tip that I gave him last year. His very first response was, he can't, because it's an open investigation. He can't get into any of the details. He cannot tell me if any semen or blood was found besides Tina's. He cannot tell me if her clothes had ever been located. He couldn't really tell me anything which is really frustrating. But I do have to say, he did apologize. And he went on to explain that if he were to disclose any details of exactly what they have, that it would damage any future prosecution that he would have, or it might damper any interviews with people or suspects down the road. Again, that is completely understandable. But I did want some answers. So I continued to inquire. I used a technique on him that he used on me when I called him for the very first time over a year ago. 
After he got done talking, I didn't say anything. I just waited. I just waited for him to keep talking. And it seemed to work. At least a little bit. I asked him if he had any new leads or updates or anything. Anything at all. He said that Tina's case continues to get new tips, but they, quote, have not made any charging decisions on it. And that was about the best he could tell me at this point. I had asked what seemed like an enormous amount of secrecy in this investigation. There have been no big updates to the press in years. Nothing new for how long now? I mean, is there a reason for that? Is there maybe something sinister going on behind the scenes? He said that mainly when the cases are as old as Tina's, all they do with them is appeal at different times for people to come forward if they have any additional information. But usually there's no real press releases that are done. He couldn't tell me if they were like specifically looking for any new details or any new suspects. He said all they're currently looking for is people who might have had first-hand knowledge. And perhaps now, after all these years, they're willing to come forward. You know, after some time passes, maybe people are no longer intimidated by whoever did it. Or perhaps they're in like a better position mentally to go through stepping up and telling police exactly what they know. He said that's mainly all they're looking for nowadays. For people to come forward with knowledge of what happened. He made it a point that... He was not addressing any specific angle that they were going down as far as an investigative lead, so I just have to make that known. I asked him if police were ever able to identify the two boys leaving the scene the day that Tina was found, or the man at the ice cream shop the night she disappeared. He apologized again and explained that he could not discuss that at all. I mean, I have a theory on who those two boys might have been, but... I'm not going to get into that. It's just a theory, and maybe I'll save that for a case file down the road. He did, however, make it a point to tell me that he wanted to cooperate with me as much as possible, and that he really appreciated what I was trying to do, but he has to protect the integrity of the case. First off, I have to be honest, I felt honored by what he said. I felt like maybe I was doing some good. You know, I had so many people since I started this podcast either call me a psycho or a weirdo or accuse me of being the killer or part of the cartel or trying to accuse me of trying to profit off of a tragedy that is just a touch of fresh air to hear someone say they appreciate what I'm doing. The same goes with my listeners. When someone tells me, hey, good job, or how much they appreciate what I'm doing or how they think that we can all solve this together. That's more important to me than downloads or ratings or even sponsorship. It's a sense of accomplishment. That sense of reward that I'm making a difference in a positive way is literally all I've ever wanted from this podcast. You know, besides hopefully solving this case. But back to uh, Mr. Scholz's statement. He said he had to protect the integrity of the case, which I completely understand. There have been numerous cases of prisoners, you know, confessing to crimes that they did not commit 
just to get out of prison for a couple days and go on a field trip to uh, an imaginary murder site. Or maybe they're just having fun with authorities and they're trying to play some mind games. So I don't fault him in the least bit for keeping so many details a secret. I did inquire as to how much it would cost to have any DNA tested. I pointed out that some listeners have offered to set up a GoFundMe account or donate money to test possible DNA. He told me that donations are absolutely not needed. The department is not out of funds. If they want to do a DNA test, they can easily get one done if they feel it's of value. Funds is not a problem at all. So I guess that kind of puts that myth to bed. If police want DNA tested, it's not due to lack of resources or funding. From what I know, they have not tested any DNA from the lead that I brought them last year. I could be completely wrong for all I know, so don't quote me because I'm not positive whether they have or have not tested any DNA. I also asked whether the police believe that, you know, are any of the murders from the 1970s near a scene related to Tina's death at all? You know, do they suspect the work of a possible serial killer at that time? All he had to say that it would be pure speculation on his part to say anything about that. You know, until they had an actual suspect to question, they would not have any true way of knowing. Again, I have to agree with them here. I mean, the majority of what I say on here is purely speculation. You know, besides the actual facts that I state that I get from newspaper or people that were there, all my theories are speculation. I asked him for one last statement regarding anything, anything at all. And he apologized and said no, just an appeal to anyone who might have firsthand knowledge. The police would love to talk to you about it. And with that, the conversation wrapped up. He wished me the best of luck on my podcast, thanked me again, and that was that. I didn't hardly get any questions answered. But I honestly felt that this conversation went a lot better than the first couple ones I had with him. I kind of feel like I'm growing as a journalist. I think those classes I took might have helped a little bit. Perhaps, you know, he sees that over a year of investigating, I'm not just some guy off the street, nor am I connected to this murder. I'm not a time-traveling murderer. I'm just someone who cares, who wants to do good. Do I think that we are, you know, moments or days away from solving this case? No, I don't. Do I think that this case is closer to being solved than before I started this podcast? Yes. Yes, I do. Granted, I've made some mistakes along the way, but I'm the first to admit that I'm far from perfect. But I do learn from my mistakes, and I'm very open to constructive criticism. I'm constantly trying to improve. If you aren't improving, you're either going backwards or you're stuck in the same spot. And neither of those are good. So hopefully everyone else sees an improvement in not only the quality of this podcast, including how it sounds and how I talk during it, but also in how I investigate and the answers I bring. Granted, it seems lately like I don't bring many answers at all, but that's not for lack of trying. Much like the deputy chief said, 
if anyone out there has firsthand knowledge of anything regarding that night or the day after Tina was murdered, please reach out to police. It's never too late. Don't let this weigh on your chest any longer. Get it out. Bring some peace and closure to her family and friends. And also, all the listeners from all around the world that have come together to love Tina and want to find justice for her. If you're still too scared or nervous to talk to police, you know, I don't blame you. I got super nervous before I called. So if you don't want to do that, then reach out to me. Either email me at info at searchingforclosure.com or find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Yeah, that's right. I'm on Twitter now. Not a fan of social media, but I need to get as many people listening as possible. So hopefully we can find some answers. So on all three social medias, my handle is the same, at Closure Podcast. If you didn't write any of those down and you don't feel like rewinding to hear them again, all this information can be found at searchingforclosure.com. Next week, I conduct my first on-air interview. Since I first started this podcast, one of my main goals, you know, besides helping to solve the case, was to portray Tina as a person instead of just a victim. Because, honestly, she seems to be so much more than that. And no one needs to be remembered only by something that someone else did. She should be remembered as a person. And now, over a year later, I finally found one of her close friends who is willing to sit down with me and tell me all about Tina Davison. Tina Davison the person. Tina Davison the teenager. Tina Davison the light-hearted, laughing teenager who had a bright future. That entire interview is coming next week in an all-new case file. Until then, if you're bored with nothing else to do, you could always read a book. But... Who has time to read a book, sit down, turn pages, all that stuff? You know, would you read this podcast if it was just like a weekly newsletter? Maybe, but probably not. That's why podcasts are so popular. It's just so easy to listen to, just like audiobooks. And the main place to get audiobooks is at Audible. They have over 180,000 audiobooks. They have some of my favorites, like The Stranger Beside Me, Every Breath You Take, and Too Late to Say Goodbye, all by the legendary author Anne Rule. Just go to audibletrial.com slash closure and sign up for a free month. No strings attached. Cancel at any time. With that free month, you also get a free audiobook at no charge to get you started. Along with two Audible original books, which I'm also a big fan of. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash closure to get a free month of Audible with one free audiobook and two free Audible originals. If you're a little burned out from listening to my podcast over and over and over all day long, every day, to try to just find new clues, which I'm sure everyone out here is doing, maybe you could try a little more hands-on approach. That's where Hunt a Killer comes into play. Hunt a Killer is a murder mystery box that immerses you in an ongoing experience. Each month, you get a new box delivered to your door 
Within each box, or episode as they call it, you will dive deeper into what it's like to be a detective. You can see basically what I try to do with this podcast. You know, all the research, sifting through piles of evidence and documents and listening to audio recordings and flipping through case files, trying to eliminate suspects, and hopefully maybe you can find out who the actual killer is. You can play it alone by yourself like I do, or you can have your friends over and make a party out of it, kind of like I try doing in the Facebook group. So go to huntakiller.com and use the promo code CLOSURE at checkout to save you 20% on your first box. By using these two sponsors, you support this podcast because all proceeds go towards spreading the word more about Tina. And what do I always say? The more eyes that look into this case, the better the chances are that they'll see something that all of us have missed. That's all for this week. Until next time, thank you for listening.